and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan Lee Davies, and here is my co-host, Gavia Baker-Whitelaw. Hi. So this week, we watched Knives Out, a hilarious murder mystery written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who you probably know for making The Last Jedi. Knives Out is a modern-day pastiche of Agatha Christie stories, combining genre-savvy humor with an intricate mystery plot. Featuring an all-star cast, including Chris Evans, Tony Collette, and Daniel Craig, it's about a wealthy family whose patriarch dies under mysterious circumstances. So this premiered at festivals earlier in the year and is coming out this week for Americans to see on Thanksgiving. And uh, I saw a slightly early screening a few days ago. You saw it at the London Film Festival. And uh, it's great. Great film. Really good. Just a delightful time. I was obsessed. <laughs> it's very Agatha- fun. Yeah. I was obsessed with Agatha Christie books as a middle schooler. I had a collection of like 70s, I would say, paperbacks that I had bought at the church rummage sale. I had like 30 of them and I read all of them. So this was just designed for me personally, just a delicious, a delicious time at the cinema. It's a little difficult to talk about without spoilers. We will do our best. And then at the end of the episode, we'll get into um, spoiler territory and we will let you know. But I mean, certainly would, we would recommend this highly. So if you need something to do with your family in the next few days, you know, get to it. Should we give a little bit of a summary in greater detail of the Yeah, I think so. We don't need to go into any spoilers. Luckily, this is one of those movies that's very complicated, but it's complicated enough that I've forgotten most of what happened kind of in a good way because it means I can rewatch it soon um, and we don't need to give specifics. Also, uh, apologies to listeners for my amazing voice. I... Uh, I've just regained the the skill of speech um, after having a cold and also hosting a very large party where I had to shout a lot in a nightclub. So <laughs> this is what I sound like for after four days of birthday. <laughs> I will attempt to do a lot of speaking for the next 45 <laughs> minutes. So uh, we'll attempt to balance that out. So the sort of central conceit of this, which is so intelligent, is that Uh, The patriarch of the family, who's played by Christopher Plummer, who's seen in flashback, is an extremely famous murder mystery writer. Yeah, which explains why his house is like this completely absurd. It's full of all these like weird props and it's perfect for a murder mystery location. Yes, like there's this one uh, feature that comes up multiple times where like there's a hidden door with a window, right? And that is not something you would find in a normal house, obviously, but it he can get away with all these kinds of things because the character would have this stuff in his house. There's a big set piece thing with like knives arranged in this circular fashion, like a a centerpiece in, in this study uh, that no normal human would have in their house. Like it's outrageous. But of course, if you're writing murder mysteries all the time, this is not an implausible thing that you would have. And so they get to supplement the plot with all these things and obviously it's, you know, a commentary on murder mystery stories, but also just have fun with the production design. The production design of this movie is really, really fun. They shot in this, like, ridiculous mansion somewhere in Massachusetts. They have not disclosed where exactly it is. But um, the combination of the house itself and then the sort of things they did on top of it to add this element was really, really smart and fun. At the very beginning of the movie, the Christopher Palmer character is found murdered and it's just been his birthday. So all of the family members are still around. And so they 
the police interview them and they are all kind of suspect in various ways. And Daniel Craig plays the uh, Hercule Poirot character who's not a detective, but is a, or not a police detective, but is a consulting detective and is brought in. Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Delicious. Really showcasing his fantastic Southern accent, which is like very extreme. Uh, it's a it's an impressive feat. He really steals the show, and that's uh, that's you know also an impressive feat because there's like a million really famous people in this movie. This is basically a film where the entire cast is actors who could be leading their own film, but they're all playing weird character roles. And I think for a lot of them, that's kind of a real relief for them. The one thing that is kind of a surprise, which isn't clear from the trailers, and is like a pleasant an interesting surprise I think they did intentionally is that the protagonist is actually Ana de Armas's character who is her name is Marta Cabrera and she is Harlan's nurse so she works for the family and is like this caretaker who knows the family really well but comes from a very different background and there's this sort of class divide which we will be talking about at length in this in this podcast um but yeah it's like you've got people like Daniel Craig and Chris Evans are like the big two where they where they are traditionally cast in sort of generic leading man roles and they both get to play these really like out there characters and I think they're very satisfied by that like Daniel Craig whenever he gets to be funny in anything is clearly having the time of his life because he has to spend so much of his time playing Bond (laughs) obviously he is heartily reimbursed for that suffering but you know (laughs) um and then you have like tony collette and like lakeith stanfield and jamie lee curtis and all these people who are used to being the protagonists and they actually you know seems like they've managed to like balance that shit out well the casting for this movie was incredibly interesting to me and enjoyable obviously you know it's just a very pleasurable film to watch and every single actor is cast incredibly well for their roles like they're all just really good in the parts that they've been cast for so like Tony Collette is playing clearly a riff on Gwyneth Paltrow which is extremely funny like she's this sort of guru type person very dumb very superficial just money hungry it's a really funny performance Jamie Lee Curtis is playing the daughter of the family and she is very kind of high strung and into being a powerful person. But She's very keen on the idea that she's like a self-made woman because obviously all of the kids, their actual like fortune comes from their father. Uh, but she's like, yeah, I've built this business empire. And then Don, jo- Don Johnson plays her sort of hapless husband, which is very amusing. Yes. And obviously Christopher Plummer is the patriarch and is sort of caused all of this, you know, catastrophe with his children who are all hopeless, but has an awareness that he caused this problem and is trying to figure out how to fix it. And Chris Evans, of course, is the like scoundrel youngest child. And also Um, I feel like quite interestingly, it's like, because obviously you see a lot of this type of story about like a rich patriarch you know obviously we've got the whole episode we did on succession which is about how this absolutely nightmarish awful abusive patriarch fucked up all of his rich kids and in this christopher Plummer actually isn't portraying that awful a character like obviously he's not like the greatest father ever but they make it quite clear that the problem is more just the hereditary wealth rather than him being an unusually bad dad like in many ways he's a lot more kind of likable than any of his kids yes definitely And it's just that they've been so 
well, there's a, the other child is played by Michael Shannon and he runs the publishing company that publishes his father's books. Like they, they own the company themselves. And the clear implication is that like he has had no life outside of this. You can think of plenty of children of famous people who wind up sort of just carrying out their parents' legacy. Right. And that means that you don't have a life and your whole life is wrapped up in this money and somebody else's power. I was actually kind of intrigued by Michael Shannon playing. I mean, he wasn't like a downbeat character, but like he can go, he's like, he can go to some like Nick Cage levels if he wants to. And he was playing one of their more subtle siblings. You know, some of those performances were a lot weirder than his. Yes. Well, I was thinking of him particularly, but even Chris Evans too. I mean, obviously Chris Evans, this is a very different kind of role than the Captain America roles that he is famous for. He gets to play an asshole, which he did in the play he did on Broadway, Lobby Hero as well. He's clearly trying to do something different. But his role is actually not a huge role also in terms of screen time. Like he doesn't have I was really surprised because he doesn't show up till halfway through. But when he does show up, it is such a fucking good entrance. Like I think in my review, I like compared it to when you hire a sort of like a character actress of a certain age in one of these like 1940s movies and you have the diva sweep in and you pay her like a million dollars to do three or four scenes where she just steals it and then leaves and it's like well fucking done chris evans what was so interesting to me about watching all of these really famous actors with the exception of ana de armas who plays the lead character who's the like young ingenue in the movie right they're all like massive established people and i have read so many articles and interviews over the years when casting is discussed that with male actors in particular, once they hit a certain level of fame, not everyone, of course, but many male actors just don't do supporting roles anymore. Like they just don't do it. Whereas women basically do not have that option, right? Because you, the roles just don't exist. But that with very famous male actors, you're just like, well, I'm going to do big leading roles or nothing. And that's it. Whereas um, with women like there are obviously there's a problem with like what's available but also there are great supporting roles with lots of movies you know and in this everyone obviously read the script and was like this is great I'm not gonna have the biggest role but what I do have is really good and so you have this combined force of all of these incredibly talented incredibly famous people put towards this bigger effort and with the exception of Daniel Craig who is definitely the standout for me no one is like receiving the big egotistical boost of like I'm the star but they're in a great movie and so it was really fun in that way it's like a great combination of clearly Ryan Johnson is a very good he just has like fantastic social skills he's clearly a very good kind of people manager and has like a positive vibe on set you know and I saw like I saw a Q&A with him at London Film Festival and he obviously people always talk about how much they enjoy their last project but it seems like he just generally has an extremely upbeat attitude and is very open about having a really upbeat attitude which isn't necessarily something you associate with a lot of kind of high level male directors you know it's not it's not a very cool way to be and obviously it helps that this is a comedy but you have this combination of a guy who clearly gets on with people really well is a good judge of character, has written a script that people are really enthusiastic to work with. Um, but Morgan is right in saying that like a lot of 
established male actors don't want to be doing non-lead roles. And I think this film has basically presented us with a list of those actors who are willing to do that because Daniel Craig has done, you know, supporting roles. He did in, um, what was the name of that heist movie? Logan Lucky, which I thought about during this, not just We did an episode on Logan Lucky and that's another one where Daniel Craig is playing like a very weird character (laughs) who is a supporting role and has this absurd accent. I think probably a slightly different absurd accent, but like very over the top. Um, and then like Michael Shannon, I guess, is quite used to playing, you know, character roles and he plays a lot of villains. So he's not going to be like, oh, I have to be the protagonist. And then Chris Evans is just really hungry to do something that's fun and is different from Captain America. So they've like caught these people at like the right time and the right attitude. The other thing that was interesting to me about the production of this, I was reading some things after I saw it, was that Ryan Johnson had the idea for this, I think, quite a while ago, but it was just kind of kicking around in his head. And he wound up talking to his producer about it after Star Wars. And for through some series of events, he wound up writing it really quickly, which is not how he normally works. And there was sort of a gap in his schedule because he's theoretically doing these other Star Wars movies next, although we'll see if that actually happens. And they literally were calling people being like, do you want to shoot this movie in like two months? from now like as opposed to the normal process which is like okay next year in the middle of the year we're gonna figure out some time like they were literally just calling people up being like um in you know september and it was like you know july they got daniel craig first and then that made it really easy to get other people because he's obviously desirable and the combination of the two of them was appealing and they were like at the toronto film festival like frantically raising money and then shot it that fall which i guess was last year and so it happened incredibly quickly and that says to me also that like everyone was just really energized by the quality of the script right and obviously the people attached to it but you don't get something happening that rapidly without real enthusiasm and it's also kind of like the type of movie that doesn't really get made unless it's literally an agatha christie adaptation because like everyone has seen this type of movie I mean, a lot of these actors at some point in their career were always going to be in this type of movie at some point because, like, they always happen, but they are always an adaptation. And, like like you said, like, they're not usually as, you know, well-written as this, which has just got such a, a sharp script. But I think sometimes, like, having this really rushed production schedule sometimes is a benefit because the longer things draw out, the more, like, complicated it is to schedule people. And if you literally can just say, are you available in two months? People know if they're going to be available in two months. And it kind of reminded me a bit of what happened with The Martian, which... um Ridley Scott put together in some absurdly short length of time and he got all these really famous people to be in it because he's got Matt Damon and you know they were just like hey let's make this movie that's going to be like comedic and also exciting and has Ridley Scott on board and everyone was like sure and then they filmed it all in about 10 seconds. Yeah and I'm sure that rapidity is sort of exciting as well right like you feel like you're at camp and are like oh let's you know let's do this fun thing. The most funny thing to me was that it was Chris Evans's Marvel break, I guess, after doing Endgame. And he was like, I really don't want to work in this period. Like, I'm so tired. And but then the script was really good. And they were literally shooting it like in his backyard because they shot it in the Metro West (laughs) Boston area, which is where he lives and where I grew up. So I was watching this film and was just like, this all looks very familiar. (laughs) I didn't realize it was in Massachusetts until they say so at the beginning of the movie. They do a big overhead shot of the sort of main street where like I went to get lunch all the time as a kid and a teenager. And I was like, what the fuck? Like what, what is happening? Cause they changed some of the signage. So I wasn't um, immediately sure, but I checked after 
And uh, that was, in fact, the one place where I had my singular non-encounter with Chris Evans at the age of, I think, 18. So this would have been in 2008. And uh, it was like right after I'd gotten back from college for the first time and I was having lunch with some friends. And we were in the sandwich shop and I was looking at the door and they were looking at the counter. There was no one else in the store. And this man comes in to get a sandwich. And I was telling this long, involved story. And it became very apparent that they were not paying any attention to me at all. And I was like, very outraged that they weren't paying attention to my surely uninteresting story. And it became clear (laughs) that something was sort of going on at the counter. And I was like, gosh, this is so annoying. And then he left and they were like, that was Chris Evans. And I was like, oh, well, that would explain what was happening. And the cashier had asked him for an autograph, which was big faux pas. But I just like, that was very enjoyable for me. Uh, to to see the sort of local locations and I'm dying to know where that house is because it has to be very close to where I grew up but they aren't saying which is understandable but um I mean one has to assume it's a private residence that someone actually lives in and that's why they're keeping it quiet because they're like we don't want to be fucking rammed (laughs) it is someone's house and they so they're not that's why they're not saying which again like I obviously understand but um oh yeah it it's a nice house in terms of the actors, and I would think we should sort of close that out by just saying, I really think that Daniel Craig is incredible in this movie. And I was thinking about... Um, His comic timing is fucking incredible. I was thinking about like the kinds of acting that gets accolades and praise. And this isn't a kind of role that would get like nominated for an Oscar, and particularly this year, because they're, the like best actor field is really overcrowded. But... He doesn't have an arc in this movie, right? Like, he's Poirot, essentially. And Poirot comes in and just, like, solves the problem and doesn't have... A, I mean, he has a personality, but he doesn't have, like, emotions or whatever. But he is so unbelievably funny. The way he, like, the words come out of his mouth. It's like he had, like, a new voice box installed and words are sort of tumbling out like it's a pasta machine and he's churning a pasta handle and it's like, bloop! And you're like, I don't know what country that where it is from but I love it (laughs) yeah and he just the way he sort of manages the character where he does really know what's going on he's clearly very clever he's not just a buffoon but he's not like Sherlock Holmes levels of like I have seen every detail and I have figured it all out and I am a magician which is not super interesting to me right and so I mean I think they do a good job of illustrating that he is actually legitimately experienced. Because when he first shows up, you do kind of assume that he's going to be this like absurd dilettante, you know? Especially because he is, the whole point is that he's a celebrity detective. Like people have heard of him. And also he's got this really overblown persona. But then by the end of the film, you're like, oh, the re- I mean, obviously he's really good at this job, but like you can kind of tell that a lot of his skills are learned through experience and like he knows how to observe people and he understands like how to investigate and that sort of thing and for a character who isn't established and we're not going into that with preconceived notions that's like a lot of characterization to put in there in a way that doesn't really you know we don't learn this from exposition they don't go like oh here's a bunch of fucking backstory for this guy it's just illustrated really cleanly through his role in a cast of like 15 fucking people (laughs) yes and he is, I mean, he and Ana de Armas are definitely like the two main characters. He has a lot of screen time, but it's not, again, as you say, like they're going into his backstory or anything. It's all just through the through the plot. 
And I was just incredibly impressed by him. And the accent, apparently in the script, it was like he has the slightest hint of a Southern accent. And Daniel Craig was just like, no, I've decided (laughs) to do this instead. And it totally works. It's really, really silly. And it adds to that sense, the beginning of him being sort of a absurd person. But then as the movie goes along, you kind of sense that he does sort of know what's going on or is smart enough to figure it out. And I just thought he was absolutely fantastic. And that's the kind of thing that I just think is not appreciated the way that it should be. Obviously, all the reviews are saying he's great. So it's not like people don't, you know, appreciate this at all. But I just was really, really impressed. And um, it was one of the performances that I had the most fun watching all year, which is not something to be underestimated, I think. As well, well there's just so much precision, you know, because it's like there's a relatively limited number of roles that kind of require that level of flourish that aren't in a really stupid comedy. Because usually it's like you'll see someone like doing something really absurd in like a really broad comedy or like overacting and it doesn't work as well as where you have a movie here where obviously all of the characters are very larger than life. But it is, you know, it's it's kind of a bit more serious. It's not full comedy. It's a comedy mystery, you know, and you have like sincere performances in there. And um, it's kind of like before Johnny Depp like went massively downhill, you know, there's a couple of roles that Johnny Depp did, like the first parts of the Caribbean film, where he is playing these like really ostentatious, over the top, flourishy characters, but it works because like there's that precision going on. But with this, it's like Daniel Craig has just created this character from whole cloth complete with some very bold uh, kind of physical comedy choices and sort of the way he interacts with the camera is just so expert and it's just so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I was thinking about Logan Lucky a lot during this. I'm, I'm sure partially because of him and he's in both of them. He's more yeah. absurd in that. But the general sort of tone and project of the movies, I think is similar. That movie is also supposed to be an entertainment, right? Like you're supposed to have fun watching it. And it's so expertly crafted on every level. Better directed than this movie, I would say. I mean, I think this film is better than that film. But <laughs> I think I prefer that movie a bit, but on just the pure level of direction, like this, that's the area where this movie is just not doing much of anything. He's clearly focused on the script and the actors and the direction of this film is just, it's competent. It's not making any problems. It's not elevating it particularly. But what both of them are doing is they're both making a social point, this one in a more sort of pointed way, but that one also is about sort of class and capitalism. But they're trying to do it through uh, the mode of a movie that is in an entertaining genre, right? And that is not an easy thing to do. Like, we take more seriously, like, high art movies. And that's my taste, so I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But this kind of thing is not easy to carry off. It's so much easier to try to do this and fuck up and have it just be stupid or bad or not funny. And I think it is really impressive to do this in a way that actually works. I guess we should say a bit more about the mystery elements in terms of tone. He's really invoking Agatha Christie, obviously we keep saying, but um, the elements are sort of uh, pastiched in a way that's really clever. I think you were pointing out he's in interviews been making a point to say that it's not a parody of those old stories. He's really trying to recreate them in this new form and new context, which I think works really well. 
Um, I was thinking a lot about Gosford Park watching this. Have you seen that movie? I can't remember if we've ever oh, talked yeah, about I it. Oh, yeah. I saw it a long yeah. time ago and I love it, but I really like to rewatch it. It's one of my favorite movies. I've seen it many, many times. And that is working on another sort of artistic level. Not to like denigrate this movie at all, but that's like a Robert Altman movie. It's like, a, you know, truly like high art masterpiece while yeah, also being yeah. very funny. But similarly in that, he's sort of using the Agatha Christie tropes in a way that's very fun, but also to illustrate like upstairs downstairs conflict in um, sort of British class system. That's what he's going after there. But in that, Stephen Fry plays the detective character, who's very secondary to the story, but like he kind of comes in near the end and is fully incompetent. Like he just has no idea what he's doing at all in a way that's humorous. So in Gosford Park, he's like the whole setup has to do with this sort of murder at a country home. Like it's very Christie esque, but he doesn't actually go through with the Christie detective plot, right? Like it doesn't, no one figures out what actually, I mean, the, we know what happened, but the detectives do not figure out what happened. Whereas in this movie, he's playing by the rules a bit more of those stories. Like he, he wants you to enjoy that process um, in the way that you do if you read those old books or watch the adaptations, but also and it's doing extraordinarily complicated. Yes. Yes, it is. There's like no way that you can predict what's going to happen because there's just like a vast array of kind of clue-like revelations to do with every single character and like the layout of the house and the timeline and all of this stuff. Yes. It's really, really smart. And I was genuinely surprised by the ending, which Oh, yeah. Like, congratulations to him. Um, shall we move into the ending? Well, I think before we go into spoiler zone, we should just talk a little bit about the social commentary. Yes. I feel like we've kind of touched on that. Yeah. But um, basically, as I said, um, it's kind of a surprise, or at least it was a surprise to me. I feel like it's going to be a surprise to a lot of audiences that Ana de Armas is the protagonist, you know, and she's very clearly the protagonist. And in some ways, she's kind of the straight man to like all of these really absurd characters, but they also give her this really silly gimmick, which is that she uh, vomits whenever she tells a lie, <laughs> which which could easily just be like absolute garbage. But because the film just has this sort of absurd tone, you're like, oh, I'll accept that. Fine. But like right from the very beginning of the film, they sort of lay out this dynamic between her and the family where she is clearly this really caring, lovely person who had quite a positive relationship with the old patriarch character. And that on the surface, it seems like she's quite close to the rest of the family. And you see these interview segments with them being interviewed by Daniel Craig's detective character where they're like, oh yeah, she's just like part of the family. But there's like very early alarm bells as well, like the fact that like none of these characters know what country she's from. Like they're all giving these different Latin American countries they think she's come from. They kind of talk like, oh, she's part of the family, but like she's clearly not part of the family. Like she is an employee of the family. And the only one of them that has a real relationship with her is obviously the old man. And that kind of dynamic deepens and gets more complicated as the story moves on. And that's kind of interesting to do with the casting, right? Because it's like when the casting is initially announced, you're sort of like, this is like an extremely white film that is showcasing a lot of very mainstream famous white actors and getting them a lot of fun stuff to do, you know? And there are a lot of films each year which are basically along those lines in terms of casting choices and like just being like, here's a really great role for you. And that is technically true here, but it's also, you know, it is acknowledging the racial dynamics of that within the cast, you know? and 
instead of it just trying to be sort of like a neutral commentary on wealth either. It's like, this is really explicitly what like rich white people are like. And the more the film moves on, the more you're just like, these people are just absolutely all terrible. <laughs> They're just all shit. They're all really kind of venal and corrupt. And they've got this minor character played by one of the kids from the It franchise, uh, Jacobs, who's sort of the like a early teens, like sort of, I guess like 13 or 14 year old kid who's um, two of the older siblings' child. And he's just this like alt-right troll who's just sitting on Twitter like writing Nazi stuff all the time and it's a really small role but the fact that this is sort of it's a joke but it's also clear that like the family is like just not that bothered by this they're just sort of like well you know it's just like this embarrassing hobby he's got and like it's a perfect kind of film for the Thanksgiving weekend audience because it's all about like this family arguing and they get into these arguments about politics and they're all quite stupid. So like even the ones that think they have quite a sophisticated viewpoint, it's just like, yeah, you are just a dummy. And a lot of them are just like more racist than they initially seem because they know that like, oh, they're like a they're like a kind of artsy Massachusetts family. So they're not going to like come out and be like, I love Trump. But also it's like, yeah, you're still fucking racist. Like they're all really obnoxious in really entertaining ways. And that is kind of the underlying theme of the film. And by the end, you're like, this has actually done like a really good job of kind of poking fun at the, these topics. I mean, he said in interviews basically that he wanted to include the Trump stuff. I don't actually know if they say, I don't think they say Trump in the movie, but it's, they, they practically do. Like yeah. they talk about this stuff pretty explicitly. But he was like, well, this is what people talk about all the time. So yeah. it felt silly to not put it in because like, this is, everyone's obsessed with it. And like especially like if you have like a you know? character like Tony Collette's character, she's definitely the kind of person who's going to share a bunch of like batshit political opinions at every given opportunity because it's like she can't keep her mouth closed. And then you have this protagonist. Um, Ana de Armas is Cuban, but like they don't, I don't think they actually specify what country the character is from in the end. But like you kind of get to see her home life and like her mother is undocumented. So there's this kind of tension where Obviously, she is like, you know, her life is relatively comfortable because she's been paid presumably quite a lot of money to be essentially the friend of this old man played by Christopher Plummer. But at the same time, this family has the wealth and power to have her mother deported if they decide that, like, she's doing the wrong thing during this murder investigation. Yes. And the movie is actually, I mean, obviously, it's very smart, but they have the sort of Tony Collette character who obviously is like, Trump's terrible and all of this is bad, even though she doesn't have any personal stake in any of this at all and doesn't actually care. But then a couple of the other members of the family are definitely Republicans. Like the, oh, so, for sure. So they have all like the Don sort Johnson of... Like Don Johnson is like, as soon as it comes on screen, it's like, yeah, we know where Don Johnson's yes. going with this. Yes. <laughs> that and Watchmen, a couple of interesting roles from this year. <laughs> yeah, he's having, a, he's having a good time. But like, so all of the sort of various facets of this like horrible whiteness are all contained within this family and they get to sort of go at it together. And even like the daughter of I think the Tony Collette character who's played by the girl who's Catherine on, Langford. She sort of seems like she's okay, which you know it's not gonna be the case. And then it turns <laughs> out that it's not the case. So they just systematically go through and are like, nope, 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 nope. And then meanwhile, you have this other young woman who's like desperately trying to manage her life and not be totally fucked over by these people. And, and it's actually like a nice person. Yes. <laughs> and it's just really thoughtful. And she said in interviews that she had specifically not 
wanted to take any uh, parts that were like Latin American characters because she just like didn't want to be boxed in that way and there aren't any good parts so you know so she was initially hesitant about the script and then it was just so good that she wound up doing it and I was thinking watching this that in terms of like mainstream American film you just don't see anything like this it just doesn't happen like you'd be more likely on television although even there it's definitely a rarity but you know movies you just don't see it because nobody is interested and if you look at the statistics of diversity in Hollywood which obviously are abysmal across the board like Asian and Latino people are still it's like nothing and if you do see Latinos in movies they're all just playing like gangsters and drug dealers right it's very weird to be like outside the U.S. and kind of find out how many Latino people there are in in the U.S. Because like so that racial dynamic is like completely U.S. specific. Like if you're in Europe, you'd kind of assume that it was like this minuscule, tiny minority of the country from media because like you just don't fucking see it anywhere. And it's like even now the disproportionate like casting choices, like you said, are like wild. Well, basically the sort of Hollywood view of like, how can we improve diversity, which is not something most people are even concerned with. But when it does come up, and you see this with discussions of like how to fix the Oscars too, right? It's all about African Americans. And I'm not saying that that is like, not something that needs to be improved at all. But that's the thing that people can comprehend and are like, oh, we should work on that. And compared to any other minority group, it's like, well, So you have some black people in movies, not enough, certainly not directing enough at all. And then like women of color also like bad. But the number of Latino people in America versus being portrayed on screen or writing or directing movies is like, it's astounding how disparate it is. It's ridiculous. We both watch like a lot of movies. I watch well over a hundred movies per year and I definitely watch more movies from Latin America than American movies that happen to have a Latin American protagonist. Like, I think this year is probably only Hustlers. Yeah. And, like, I watch a pretty fucking wide range of films. Yeah, it's really, really bad. And obviously this movie was, you know, written and directed by a white man, but credit to him for writing this, you know? I mean, he's got power, and he chose to use it in this way, and I think that's great, and it's written really I do think also, like... Star Wars has sort of impacted him to a certain extent. Because, like, I mean, Ryan Johnson is a filmmaker who makes movies about white people, you know? It's like his previous films are, like, all about white men. Whatever. Of course. Like, it's not that unusual. And then Star Wars, it's like, I think, really exposed him to a lot of discourse and also a lot of people kind of talking about representation and kind of fans and that sort of thing. It seems like this sort of probably had like a knock-on effect here as well as obviously like the political situation in general like the teenage boy character was inspired directly by all the like you know people who are constantly tweeting ryan johnson with weird like far-right star wars opinions apparently (laughs) so it's like that's less like oh this is commentary on like the world it's more just like commentary on how ryan johnson has been experiencing twitter for the past three years (laughs) right i mean this is the sort of thing where i mean i've been following ryan johnson on Twitter for like many many years because I like his early films a lot and at that point he was just like a like random indie film dude and now he's like made Star Wars this this crazy situation but these people do 
seem like they're kind of these abstract beings, right? And he tweets about this stuff, so it's not like you don't know what's happening. But even so, like, he's famous. It's not like we know him personally. So he's sort of out there. But as you say, like, he's just another person on Twitter who's receiving this, like, insane amount of just crazy vitriolic bullshit. So that will affect how you're experiencing things. And to sort of use that in a productive way is really the best way to deal with that, right? If you're choosing to stay online. So that's good for him. Now let's move on to spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah, the end of this movie is really clever. The whole plot is very clever. So basically what winds up happening is that the Ana de Armas character, the whole setup is that she accidentally gives the Crystal Christopher Plummer character this enormous dose of morphine which is going to kill him so he winds up slitting his own throat and then she has to sort of pretend that she yeah. wasn't involved. So like he fakes his own murder yeah. to like avoid her getting penalized for accidentally killing him because he actually really values her and also there's all this conflict over the will Yes. Which is kind of the central familial conflict of course is like who will inherit. Which is winds up being her and so then yeah. Daniel Craig is like dragging her around to have help with his investigation, even though she was involved, which he doesn't know, although he kind of does know, and then she has to lie, and it's this whole sort of convoluted thing. And when Chris Evans shows up, he also suspects that something was going on, and he gets her to tell him the real story. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you do this, and then you'll give me my cut of the inheritance, because he knows he was cut out. And this you know, there's various things happen, but the ultimate resolution is that she didn't actually give him the wrong drug. The Chris Evans character switched the labels hoping that she would do that, but because she used the wrong bottle, she actually had given him the normal medication, and so he killed himself for nothing. But then the Chris Evans character was sort of attempting to manipulate her, and he winds up killing this other woman to sort of cover it up and this this whole convoluted situation. And he has sort of presented himself throughout to her as like slightly less as bad. like the nice one. Right. And that's obviously not the case. And he tries to kill her in the end, doesn't work, and he goes off to jail. So you go through most of the movie thinking that you know basically what happened, which is that she accidentally wound up killing Christopher Plummer and actually that isn't what happened. It's really, really Yeah, they do well like executed. a big reveal like 50% of the way through the movie, which is like a really fun way of structuring this. Yes. And as we all know, Ryan Johnson, he loves the structure. He does yes. love the structure. <laughs> but I just thought that it was such a good use of Chris Evans because <laughs> they totally got me. Not that I was like, oh, he actually is like a good guy deep down. But I was so oh, busy yeah. like analyzing how they had used him, right? Because he's Captain yeah. America. And I was For like, sure. oh, so they've cast him as like the one who you're supposed to like, which they had, but that was because he's actually the worst one. So I was busy sort of like intellectualizing this and therefore like missed the twist. And then when they did do the twist, I was like, oh, perfect. He's the worst. <laughs> like, But of course, most people are going to want to like him as I did, because he's Captain America. And it was just... Also the fucking dogs and the sweaters. Oh, like, the fact that they oh. gave him a dog and sweater role and he's also just a massive shitbag is just fantastic. 
Yeah, I mean, every the one thing like everyone knows about Chris Evans is that he loves dogs, and like the dogs hate him in this movie. And I was like, oh, it's great. <laughs> like, there's literally a line about how like dogs are the best judge of character, and the dogs yeah. hate him, which is like how you should know from the get go that he's a piece of shit. Um, and he's like bad to the servants, and I mean, he's just yeah. not not good. But he's gets the sort of scene where he's acting like he has empathy which he doesn't but it's just really really well done I think and um the sort of desire that you have for any of them to have any sense of humanity right is perfect for him because he's like the most likable person like on the planet and so then to be like oh no 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 he is just really that bad was really delicious to me and she wants someone to be nice to her also because she's in this horrible yeah. situation and she's has worked for these people for some time and she obviously like does not appreciate when they say horrible things to her but it's clear that she it's not that she believes all the like you're really our family stuff but yeah. she does feel attached to them and yeah obviously and like, it's like she's also you know, one of these people who's like she really wants to she wants to be nice and she like yes. wants to believe in people yes. like perhaps too much. <laughs> right. And so the option of thinking that there is one of them who isn't totally a piece of shit and he's saying horrible things about the other members of the family too. So it's like an opportunity for her to be like, okay, there's someone who's sort of being honest with me when of course that's exactly the opposite of what's going on is very, very tempting. And I just thought it was so, so, so clever because all of the other people are so transparently terrible from like the first minute and then you have chris evans come in and he's just like making snarky comments and like fucking with them and you already hate them so by that point it's it's just it's so smart it's so smart and i really enjoyed his performance obviously it was really fun to see him play not captain america i mean again it's pretty small part but yeah, this was what I thought was so smart about the movie was that it was like every little piece was designed so intelligently that it was like we're going to use all of them to like the best effect. Really excellent. Good job to them. That's all I got. On, Good movie. On we that. enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah, really excellent. It was just so satisfying to see a movie for adults that wasn't a superhero movie with famous people good script, decent budget. I mean, it's pretty small, but like, you know, it wasn't made for like $5. Why don't they do this more? I don't, it's going to make money. So that's our episode for this week. Next week, we will be discussing Watchmen. Finally, fantastic television program. They just, this episode this week was like mind blowing. Yeah, this was the big one. This was the big one. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you have time to sort of binge the season so far this week. Although I really can't imagine binging it because it seems like it would be a lot. I mean, you can watch one a a day. One a day. Yeah. So we will be doing that next week. Uh, I am currently running a Little Women book club on our Patreon, uh, which has been very, very satisfying for me to reread that excellent I have now seen the movie and it's so good it is so good yeah I'm really really looking forward to it so I'm reading the book uh the third 
post about the book will be going up this weekend. And then I'm also going to be rewatching some of the old versions and posting about those as well. I've seen the Catherine Hepburn version, but I have never seen the version from 1994 with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale amazingly. So I'm going to watch that too and write about it in preparation for seeing the new version. So I'll be completely just like saturated with little women content by the time I see this new movie. Uh, so you can join us there for that. That is at patreon.com slash overinvested podcast. Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find my work on the Daily Dot, which currently includes an awful lot of Watchmen coverage. You can read all my recaps and analyses and whatever. And you can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And I am on Twitter at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at OverinvestedPod. Our Tumblr is OverinvestedPodcast. And our website is OverinvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.